May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Sometimes looking at the scriptures for a Sunday is a bit like putting together a complicated jigsaw puzzle. Does this fit here? Does this piece fit here? What about this piece? It doesn't seem to go anywhere. I want to try to tell you that it's possible that a sad story about Cain and Abel, the first two children of Adam and Eve, about a Pharisee and a tax collector praying in the temple courts, and about Paul and Timothy, Paul near the end of his life on earth, and Timothy, the young pastor, that all of these can fit together. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this day to hear God's word and to hear within it both law and gospel with this theme, particularly from today's epistle, the fight, the finish, the faith. People God dearly loves. We don't know how old the Apostle Paul was when he wrote 2 Timothy, his final letter of inspired scripture. Perhaps he was 67, or older, or younger. And we don't know how young Pastor Timothy, the recipient of this letter, is when his spiritual mentor and father wrote him. Perhaps he was 25 or older, or younger. The age of both the writer and the receiver don't really matter. What matters is that God had used Paul in great and unexpected ways for the sake of the gospel. What matters is that when Paul tells us what is both behind him and ahead of him, he calls us to the same faithfulness in Christ. In verse 7 of today's epistle, there are three simple but strong phrases that the apostle writes. I'm actually going to start with the third one, the last one. I have kept the faith. Now notice that Paul doesn't tell Timothy and the Christians in Ephesus, that's where Timothy is at this time, and the church of all times and places, and us, he doesn't tell us that he kept faith. Now that's not a bad expression, but it means something very different. It means stayed loyal or remained committed. While Paul did this, he is saying more. I have kept the faith. Capitalize both words, the faith. This Paul asserts in writing to Timothy in both of his letters. For nine times in his first letter, Paul uses that expression, the faith. And four more times in this second letter, he says the same. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, the apostle hints at what he will write in this second letter when he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Paul also writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, and there he asserts that all Christians believe and confess and share one and the same Lord, 
one and the same faith and one and the same baptism. Jude, as I mentioned to the children, was another one of the half-brothers of Jesus, born to and raised by Mary and Joseph up in Nazareth. Jude wrote this in his one-chapter letter. I appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's the definite article, capital T, capital F, the faith. This is the faith which holds to the truth and the mystery of the triune God. This is the faith which holds to the truth of God's work of salvation in Christ Jesus. For as Paul writes to the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the faith which holds to the truths of sins forgiven and eternal life guaranteed. This is the gospel of which Paul is not ashamed, for which he lives and for which he will die. I have fought the good fight, is the Apostle Paul's opening statement of these three. It's what he says next, right after, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The end of the sacrifices, the rituals is over. His departure is near. Remember, this is the charge that Paul gave to Timothy and to the Ephesian believers in his first letter, fight the good fight of faith. Now, some fights are not worth having, or they're not worth winning. If you're a guy of any age, I suspect you've been told by someone, perhaps by your granddad, perhaps by your father, perhaps by an older brother, don't pick a fight. Some fights are foolish, but some fights are necessary, even if victory is not assured. Think of the RAF taking to the skies over Great Britain during the Blitz in late 1940 and well into 1941. Think of D-Day, the invasion on the Normandy beaches in June, on June 6, 1944. Think of the Ukrainian soldiers battling to regain territory stolen from their country by the invading Russian army. How is Paul fighting? Where is Paul fighting? He's in prison. He's in chains. He's soon to be executed. But the apostle is fighting by his faithfulness. He's being faithful even to the point of death, as faithful as Jesus was. Because, and this is Paul writing to the Philippians, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And though Paul was likely alone in that Roman prison, he knew the ultimate victory was won and was his. For this is the truth he wrote at the close of 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory is ours. That victory is yours. 
It is the victory we dare to affirm even as we commit the body of a fellow believer in Christ to the grave. It's the victory we'll sing of in two Sundays, the first Sunday of November, with with words from the hymn, For All the Saints. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long steals on the ear the distant triumph song. And hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. Cain, in Genesis 4, lost the fight. In deep anger, he allowed sin crouching at the door to rule over him. And the firstborn son of Adam and Eve became the first murderer. But the tax collector in today's gospel fought the good fight of faith. He didn't boast of his piety, his practices, his perfection, his performance. He knew his failure to satisfy God by anything he did. So he cried out in the only words he could speak, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I have finished the faith. That's how Paul closes this. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's not complaining. Woe is me. Paul is not lamenting, it's over, and this is what little I have accomplished. Paul is not bragging like the Pharisee. Look what I've done. He's stating reality. And just as it's not any faith or a faith or just faith, it's not a race and not any race. It is the race. It is the race of being a Christian. It's not about beating others as though we're in competition. It's about keeping on, keeping on, putting one foot in front of the other. It's about fixing our eyes on Jesus as we run the race. For he ran before us and he ran for us. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We lift up our eyes to the hill the hill called Golgotha, where Christ Jesus ran to the finish. There, the Holy One took on himself our sin. There, the Innocent One took on himself our guilt. There, the Eternally Loved One was deserted so that you and I might be welcomed. Do any of you know the name Klaus Henning Schulke? What if I gave you a little bit of a clue? If I describe him, Klaus is a 58-year-old man who lives in Germany. He was the waterman for Kenyan marathoner Eliud Kipchoge four weeks ago today when Kipchoge set a new world record in the marathon. But Kipchoge didn't run alone because 
Klaus was almost as active as the runner for two hours and one minute. Every five kilometers, he was waiting by the side of the street with a water bottle, with his arm extended, waiting. And after he successfully passed it, he'd do a little fist pump, jump on his bicycle, and ride five more kilometers to be ready with a water bottle at the next water stop. Kipchoge calls Klaus my hero. Was Paul running all alone at the end in that cold Roman prison? No one came to stand by me. All deserted me, he says in verse 16. Paul needed encouragement for in verse 9, it wasn't included in our epistle reading, he exhorts Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Perhaps Paul was alone. Perhaps I will be. Perhaps you will be. We may not have anyone next to us, but we are still surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Paul is there. James is there. That's Hebrews 12 again. But even more, we have our Savior before us, waiting with a prize, not a participation t-shirt or some cheesy medal to hang around your neck, but something far, far better. Paul writes this as he looks to the promised gift when the race is finished. The Lord will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. There Paul will receive, has received, what you and I will receive, the crown of righteousness from the Lord, from our Lord who wore a very different crown when he was condemned and crucified. This crown is given by the righteous judge, for Jesus is the one who judges us righteous. They're all who have fought the fight and finished the race and kept the faith will be clothed from top to bottom in Christ's righteousness alone, redeemed to stand before the throne. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.